0: without any introductions. Okay. So, uh, the first thing you said was that you are motivated. Yeah. Because you're getting something out of it. And then you said that uh, you've got kind of new thoughts that now you can't get rid of. Please tell me about that.
1: Um... Uh, uh, when I'm um, noticing thoughts, I start to notice some weird thoughts that uh, I can't make sense of, that wouldn't make sense if I were to think them, and they're completely nonsensical, like I'm dreaming, uh, and some random stuff in my head gets mashed together. Uh, I notice them, but uh, I can't get rid of them, Like uh, the, the, it's hard to wake up from them,
0: yeah, I guess. Okay, all right, um, the first thing to, uh, to kind of endeavor into, uh, these thoughts that you're having, do you think that that's a new way of thinking? Or is this something that has been there a long time and you're beginning to pay attention to it?
1: Uh, I think it's- like.
0: Sorry about that.
1: That's okay. Uh, I think it's been there for a long time and I'm starting to
0: pay attention to it. Oh, all right. Okay, all right. That's something interesting. That as we begin to wake up, we begin to see things that weren't there before. But then we recognize, oh, yes, they were. I just haven't been paying attention to them. But now that we're beginning to see them, um, and that the more awake we get to them, then the more we can, in fact, deal with them. Uh, the example that I'm using recently, because everybody agrees that this is true, that when everyone wakes up first thing in the morning, they, the first thing we do wake up is we just merely wake up, but we don't get out of bed. We lay there. And mm-hmm. then re- maybe we reset the alarm, and that's about the only thing that we do. <laughs> but if eventually, whether the, uh, uh, the snooze goes all three, four, or five, or whatever times, Eventually, we wake up enough to say, okay, it's time to get up. We have the thought about getting up. And oftentimes, that getting up thought is even not quite verbal. We just find the body getting out of the bed. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, actually, our sati is exactly that same way. That sati is not necessarily... Um, completely off or completely on, but there is a place where we can look at it in the sense of there's a point of sufficiency, and that, uh, um, one kind of sufficiency or the be- below any uh sufficiency is, is that we're asleep in the sense that we're not watching the mind or that we're asleep in the bed, but the um. Uh, the, the next level is to wake up a bit, sati, and that sati is to know the bed, but to not get out of it the same way that now we're beginning to see the thoughts. We know what's going on, but we haven't quite got wake, woke up quite yet okay. to, to, push, to get out of bed, to get them out of our bed or to uh, uh, make a move on them. And so uh, there are two aspects of this that have a whole lot to do with right effort that can bring us from that beginning wakefulness or that partial wakefulness up into full-on wakefulness. And one of them is the intention to wake up.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Or the, the right view is, is to, i got to wake up altogether or completely and I'm going to be using right effort in order to do that and one of the most important ones is to begin to start taking long deep breaths Mm -hmm. that the long deep breath is really important and that people meditators will get drowsy and not know why Mm -hmm. because they're not breathing that's why they're going into a kind of a breathing that would be associated with being asleep or slumped over or Mm -hmm. whatever like this and so we, we wake up enough to recognize the mind is dull, but we don't wake up enough to recognize, oh, well, what I have to do about that dull mind is start taking some deep breaths. And so this is an important quality of one's right effort, is to begin to actually do the anapanasati. Now, with that, each in-breath then is known as an in-breath. This is actually stated this way in the Sutta, so that we know, or we understand, or we have gotten that this is an in-breath, and it's in a long, deep Mm in-breath. And then we know, or we've got it, or we understand, or sati arises, that we know that this is a long, deep out-breath, which means with each breath, we have a point of sati. Sati on the in-breath, Sati on the out-breath. So once about every 10 seconds, we're pumping that machine, getting it going. Okay, the next one is with the right effort to gladden the mind. The gladdening of the mind, Buddha talked about it when he was under the bow tree, as he was putting all of this system together, I, I would go so far as to say the hinge pin, or the link or the point that put this together was when he was able to see his own mind and say, Aha, I see you, Myra. Okay. So maybe your statement would be, Aha, I see you, dull, dreamy thoughts. Mm-hmm. And once you see those dull, dreamy thoughts, and you recognize that you see those dull, dreamy thoughts, that very recognition... Is a brand-new thought now. Mm. You've actually changed. Yeah. You said you couldn't get them out of the mind. Well, you just did at that point. If you actually recognize, I see you, you old dreamy thought, because the way that you could have the example is the dreamy thought or things like heavy uh, emotions, anger, or whatever like that, take control so that I am angry or I am the dull thought. What we're doing now is waking up enough to say, Aha, I see you, anger. Aha, I see you, dull, dreamy thought. And by being able to see that dull, dreamy thought, we pull ourselves out of it. Mm -hmm. It, We disassociate ourselves from it, that before we were in it, and there was a self to be in there. Now we're pulling ourselves out of it, and we can see that, no, it's just a dull, dreamy thought. And it's not me, it's not who I am. Yeah. Just a dull, dreamy thought. So I can take a deep breath and, and feel good that I have just shown, seen that dull, dreamy thought and thrown it out. Now I can sit here all satisfied and everything that I did just an important job. In fact, when you do that, you'll recognize that, hey, that's an important thing to learn how to do. That is a job well done. And that is to be able to throw old, dreamy thoughts out and come back to the here now. That's that's marvelous. That's, a, that's the full teaching of the Buddha in a microcosm. The question is, can you keep doing it? Can you get good at doing this? Even when dull, dreamy thoughts come? Never mind, I'm going to take a deep breath and we'll shake that off And I'm going to feel good and say goodbye to dull, dreamy thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have now wholesome, appropriate thoughts. In fact, just recently a student pointed out something that I have normally been teaching all along, but I didn't remember the Sutta reference. But the Sutta reference is in Sutta number 19 in the Majjhima Nikaya, And the name of the Sutta is two kinds of thoughts. So that's what we're going to work with for a little while. Two kinds of thoughts. The kind of thoughts that we can have would be considered worthwhile and wholesome, or the other kind of thought would be unworthwhile or unwholesome. Well, you've already kind of labeled, in fact, that dull, dreamy thought as an unwholesome thought. Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, the dullness and the dreamy-like quality of it is proof positive that you're not completely woken up, they're not completely free from that drudgery. And so wholesome thoughts would be the kind of thoughts that take us out of the hindrances no matter what they are and in fact dull dreamy thoughts and and uh, a, a dull mind is specifically a hindrance. Mm-hmm. And we can bring ourselves out of it by recognizing that that's what it is and we can Bluff it off, take a deep breath, and say, okay, I'm ready for work now. I'm ready to be here now. I'm ready to enjoy that the job that was just well done, which is throwing those uh, hindrances out of the mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's, such a, that's such an important job, and yet very few people understand that. Even a lot of meditators don't understand that that's the job. The job is to throw the hindrances out of the mind. Uh And in in order to see, in order to throw them out, we've got to see them. In order to see them, we've got to be awake. We've got to wake up to see that those are just ordinary, unwholesome thoughts. And so I can help you give uh, kind of an understanding of what are unwholesome thoughts, as opposed to what are wholesome thoughts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, um, in the Sutta, the Buddha talks about it in a very, um, let us say, beginner's kind of way. In the sense that he only is mentioning, basically, the second noble truth to use as a as a guide as to what thoughts are wholesome and what thoughts are not wholesome. Mm-hmm. So, basically, if you want something, then that's an unwholesome thought. If you want something, you don't have. If you want something, that's an unwholesome thought. Why? Because wanting is a state of not having. Is a state of dissatisfaction mm-hmm. with the idea that when I get what I want, then I'll be satisfied. Yeah. So if I'm wanting something, and this is right out of then the second noble truth of greed, ill will or wanting, if we want anything, then that's going to be a hindrance. Also, any ill will or wanting to get rid of anything, like any kind of problems that we can get. In fact, whenever we have a problem, we call it a problem because we don't like the situation. It's an unsatisfactory situation, this problem. We label it problem, but we also have to understand that we're labeling it problem because we don't like it just like we would label a sensation on the body pain, is because we don't like it.
1: Yeah.
0: That The sensation is just a sensation, but when I don't like it, I'll call it pain. So if I have a thought, and that thought is the to want something, or the, the feeling is liking or not liking underneath that feeling, um, the liking and not liking then put us in the position of wanting to get rid of something or wanting something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this this is the major thing. So uh, greed and ill will are, are the primary issues. Now, the Buddha, for um, good measure, throws in the third item, which he calls um, uh, abhihimsa, or Becoming Harmless. Says you changed your audio. Maybe my change.
1: Um, I didn't change anything. Can you hear me? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh.
0: There. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. The Bluetooth headphones had uh, lost their battery life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this this next item that we're talking about is called Abhimsa. Okay. Uh, or becoming harmless, and so ha- having thoughts of writing a, an angry email. Or to having thoughts of finishing an argument with someone mm-hmm. or telling someone off or any of that kind of stuff would be a kind of a thought that would not be harmless, that has got harm built into it. But there's another level of that, too, and that harmlessness would be when the mind gets restless and it just goes from thought to thought, just jumping around. Or that dreamy kind of thinking can actually be seen as harming oneself especially if we're actively looking for some problem that needs to be solved Mm -hmm. okay so when we come out of the second noble truth the cause of suffering then we're coming out of suffering we can actually come into the third noble truth which is not suffering which is getting the mind cleaned out from these hindrances so we can just lay back relax Mm -hmm enjoy the moment things are good no worries nothing to worry about and so but that takes sati an example of that is we have to recognize we have to wake up to the worry and as soon as we recognize that we're worrying we can actually stop that aha i see you worry and then i can come back and take a deep breath and relax and be in this present moment so that's the way that we learn to practice, and in fact, uh, the very, very, very basic thing uh, that we tell students is that when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again, but now we're using that point of not just when we recognize that the mind wanders away from the breath, it's also do we recognize when it wanders into hindrance, does it to recognize it when we wander out of a state of being satisfied. Mm-hmm. And so we begin to monitor the mind to make sure that we can stay into a state of satisfaction so that we don't go into one of these hindrances. So, mm-hmm. so that that's another way of saying it, that the right kind of thought is the kind of thought that's going to keep us satisfied and happy Mm -hmm. and unwholesome thoughts are going to be the kind of thoughts that will bring us into a state of dissatisfaction can you catch those can you start watching for that can you Mm -hmm. notice what thoughts are worth having and which ones are not Now, one of the analogies that I use for this is um, a, the bar bouncer at a high, high-class bar. So the bouncer is standing at the front door of the bar, and he's checking to see who gets in. Are they well dressed enough? Are they sober? All of that kind of stuff, mm. and then they can get into the bar. If they don't, if they don't meet the qualifications, they don't get in. But occasionally somebody gets in the bar, and then he causes a ruckus, and now the bouncer has to go get him out of the bar and throw him out. Okay? We have both of these jobs to do. We have both the guarding of the mind to make sure that these um, uh, unwholesome thoughts don't get in. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they get in, and we have to catch them. That's when Sati comes up. And we wake up to the fact that, wait a minute, out of here. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> and so this is the, uh, the new way of practicing. Now, I have um, had several students say, oh, but this practice of Anapanasati with the deep breathing and regular breathing, I can't go deep. Hmm? But with the Mahasi Noting Method, I can go deep. And the, the question is, is well, why do you want to go deep? That's the question. Why Why do people want to go deep? I don't understand that. Let's look at it a bit. First off, the word Buddha means to wake up, to be awakened. Yeah. That's going up, not going down, <laughs> okay? Right. The next point is is that if they are going deep in any reference that's mentioned within Buddhism, they've got to do it with the jhanas, mm-hmm. or they're doing something else that is not jhana. Well, if they're going to do jhanas, the way that the jhanas are always listed is, is that the student gets enough skill going to get the first jhana. Then he gets enough skill going to where he can maintain the first jhana. Then he gains enough skill to where he can get into the second jhana, and then with that, he begins to develop higher skills so that he goes in succession. So that the fourth jhana is is actually the result of a lot of skill development. Mm-hmm. Okay, which means that you've got to develop the skills for the first jhana. Going deep without going through the jhana sounds to me like going into drowsiness, going into a sleepy like state, going into uh, and staying in uh, the, the hindrances. That the noting method, often when they note, they don't just say, uh-huh, I got you, I note you, out you go. They just yeah. say, I'll, I'll note you, and I'll note you, and I'll note you. <laughs> Maybe even a full description of it. Get to know it very well. That they call insight, is getting to know dukkha. Well, actually, all we really need to know about dukkha is enough to get rid of it. Mm. We don't really need to depend spend a lot of time with it to really getting to know it, that our insights do not come from getting to know our suffering. Our insights come from getting out of the suffering. And so this is an important quality that most students don't understand, that they think that going deep. And some of them will say, oh, well, there's great bliss down there. The answer is, have you found it yet? And they'll say, well, once in a while, but it's Basically they'll say it's not a skill that they've developed. But basically, if you're going to go deep, it's better to go correctly, and what and the correct way of doing it is to build the uh, the pleasure along the way. So you don't even have first jhana unless you've removed the hindrances from the mind and gotten yourself into a state of great pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then the higher jhanas are deeper pleasure than that. So it starts with pleasure. It doesn't end after going deep, deep, deep. Do you finally find pleasure? The pleasure has to be developed right along the path. Mm -hmm. And And it's very clear about that. So this is kind of a different way that many people have thought that meditation should be practiced. But this is the way that i learned learned here in Thailand, and that this is according to the sutras, to where uh, the other method, they tend to come out of later literature. An example of that is, is focusing on the nose tip, but we know that that comes out of the Pettisambhidhimaga, which is part of the um, uh, commentaries, and came many centuries after the Buddha. The Dhyanapanasati Sutta does not mention the nose tip or focusing one pointedness, what it says is to understand and get to know the body, to examine the body. And that's actually a skill to be developed, to wake the body up, make it fully alive. Well, not just the nose tip, but the whole show. And so we're going to, that's what we use with the breathing because the breathing we use will be an introduction to the body. Okay. because when you breathe in you can feel the body move you can feel the touch of the cloth you can really get to understand your breathing by noticing the sensations in fact you wouldn't even know that you were breathing in unless you could feel your breathing in you don't need to stand in a mirror to see if you're breathing in or not that you're breathing in because you can feel it so how much of it can you feel The answer is, if you're using the body as a tool of investigation, then you're going to feel quite a lot. But if you're using your field of investigation for other things, like uh, guarding the thoughts, to make sure that the thought is wholesome or uh, unwholesome and driving them out, then you're not going to pay so much attention to the body. But you do want to make sure that you're paying attention enough to the body to know the in-breath at least is an in-breath and the out-breath at least is an out-breath. Mm-hmm. But if you follow along with the in-breath and the out-breath and really get to know the body, then that's a kind of an examination also. And so we do want to examine the body and get to know it very, very well. And this is also a major skill that we're developing. Thing in the sense of actually beginning to control the body and, of, and breathing. Mm. But we're also getting prepared for making that skill of controlling the mind quite useful. How do we control the mind? By only allowing good wholesome thoughts mm. and to come in. Then the next thing that we do is that we work with feelings so that we learn to control the feelings so that rather than dealing with the that we're in the habit of uh uh dealing with we begin to feel the way that we want to feel just like we're beginning to think the thing thoughts that we want to think and we're breathing the way we want to breathe we can also begin to feel the way we want to feel Mm -hmm. and with that with this sense of satisfaction become satisfied with this present moment we're beginning to change our feelings and if we change them more and more that begins to change our attitude now attitude has the quality of I can do this The quality and the attitude of a winner the quality and attitude of one who is no longer a victim to anything that happens in their life. We're no longer a victim to our own thoughts and bad behavior and feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm in charge of them. One of the students, in fact, had, a, had a, a way of thinking it, and he said, Every person is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. <laughs> That's right. And that is so true everyone's an emperor of their own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your own pile of dirt? Are you going to be struggling to get out some air? Or are you going to be sitting on top of the world, sitting on top of your pile of dirt? Mm -hmm. Then the other way we can look at it is this pile of dirt we're talking about is our past. It's stuff that's built up over time. And so keeping the mind out of the past is a way of keeping it out of hindrances. Don't think about the past. Don't ruminate or um, try to solve old problems or reminisce or anything. That in fact, when old memories and old thoughts come up like that, the first thing that happens is, boy, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. I'm glad I'm not in that place. That I'm glad that I'm here. And so we can keep those thoughts of the past out And by doing so, we can begin to become emperors of our own pile of dirt. We can feel the way we want to feel rather than feel the way that our random thoughts wind up having us feel. Now, there's one more point about that because it seems strange. You know, little kids by the age of two and three and four, they play a lot. They enjoy themselves a lot. But a little bit later, by the time they're in school, they're made to do things they don't want to do. They begin to deal with a bunch of unhappy adults, and they start mimicking the behavior and the feelings of the adults instead of remaining in that childhood joy. So by the time that we're adults, things have kind of swapped around for the little kid. He's in joy about 80% of the time and only in suffering and uh, tantrums and whatnot, about 20% of the time. By the time we're adults, it's the other way around. Now, people do enjoy themselves, the whole Disney world. Everything about Disney is built upon the fact that they, you can get people to enjoy themselves. And you can make some money off of them in the process. <laughs> but people do naturally enjoy themselves. But that's because they have to sort of get out of their normal life to do so. And we can do it every day. Everybody has a little bit of peace and quiet. Everybody has a little bit of relaxation. But most of us spend far too much time in the ordinary world that has to do with the past and the future and problem solving and all of this kind of stuff that's part of modern time. Your job is to put the mind back in the state that it naturally was when you were three years old. Only you're going to be able to do it now through skill. Because the skills are needed because the old habit patterns have built up over the top of that. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to get back down to that joy. So that's one of the things that you can do while you're sitting there, breathing in and breathing out, is you can remember how good you could feel when you were a really little kid and that you can feel that good now. Mm-hmm. You can bring up those old feelings and feel really, really good, feel like a winner, to feel like a champion. When we're little kids, we can, we can imagine anything. And all I need is a little thing like this and 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 with my imagination it's a whole full blown taco truck. And I can go zoom, zoom 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 and enjoy life. All right. We need to be able to do that again as adults, but we need to be able to do it and control it and do it with a with a um a mind that is fit for work. Mm. Rather than looking for Disney or something to give us the joy, we can manufacture it directly or we can tap into that pool of it that's already in there someplace. Okay. Perhaps that's an easier way to say it because some people say, Gladdening my mind is a lot of work. And I said, Okay, so just relax. <laughs> Just relaxing is the same thing as gladdening the mind. You can't relax without gladdening the mind, but gladdening the mind sounds like a lot of work. So manufacturing joy sounds like a lot of work, or tapping into the joy that's already there, that sounds like it's easier to do. Yeah. But Both of them are just matter for So this is actually the state that we want to get ourselves in is a state where we are feeling joyful and happy and satisfied and successful because we're successful because we know that we can put ourselves in the state of mind that's free from hindrance, that I can feel good. And eventually we come to the point of saying, you know, no matter how, obstructed the mind gets. I can clean it out and come back to this present moment.
1: Mm.
0: Now, generally when we're talking about that, we're not talking about obstructions that happen in the mind while we're sitting in meditation someplace, so that's possible. I'm talking about the obstructions that come to mind, like when we're getting arrested. Can <laughs> <laughs> And so, Basically, when we're sick or uh, when we've gotten fired or when um, uh, coronavirus happens or any of those kind of things that come by, we gain strength through them knowing that no matter what comes by, I can handle it. I can take care of it. And that's the line. When we come to the point of it doesn't matter what happens, I can clean that stuff out of the mind. And I can come to a state of joy and happiness in this present moment. And so then we begin to imagine circumstances. Can I handle that one? Can I handle a panda bear? Can I handle a snow bear? Can I handle a <laughs> grizzly? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not grizzly. Right. How how much of a um, trauma can I handle? Oh, can I handle dying? If I can handle dying, then I can handle most anything. Because the worst things that can happen to us always lead to death. And so when we have the understanding that, hey, I can have a clean mind even when I'm dead, even when I'm dying, to have a good last thought. If I can't take another breath, at least I can smile. And so, actually, if you think about it, everything that we're doing with Anapanasati is preparing for that moment. Mm-hmm. Because if you're ready for it, you're ready to handle anything.
1: Preparing to die.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is mind. what we're talking about. huh? Preparing to die with a smile. Well, freedom from fear. Yeah. Fearlessness. This is what it's all about, is becoming fearless. Well, the practice that we're talking about is getting ourselves directly into the state of fearlessness. Mm. We become satisfied. We become, feel secure. We don't feel like that there's anything, there's any danger. There's no problems to solve and nothing to do mm. or things that I don't like and have to get rid of. And so I can come to that state of fearlessness. It's something to be practiced. To practice being fearless. The Buddha even went to uh, what we would call haunted places or dangerous places just to check it out. Okay. There's a sutta about that. In fact, the very place that he chose was boat gaia now boat gaia was actually uh very very close to the river and in those days it was quite swampy with a lot of swamp gas and uh, fog and big snakes and all kinds of things as well as spooky things mm-hmm. if you go into the magic and this is where he sat under the bow tree that was where the bow tree was <laughs> It was a spooky, haunted place, and he was able to manage himself there. And so we can say, all right, well, if the Buddha can sit under the Bodhi tree in a swampy, spooky place, then I can at least go to the morgue and visit a dead body or two, or at least get on YouTube and see a, um, an autopsy. Yeah. So that we can get used to the gory and know that it's just ordinary. That our society tries to put things way deeply buried someplace so that the normal society doesn't have to deal with that. To where within the context of the Buddha, we want to deal with that stuff so that we know that we can deal with it. So that we have that uh, mentality of the winner, the lion. That is, uh, as kind of testing oneself that we do that kind of thing and the monks are good at it. I mean, they test themselves in how many different ways. One is by going barefoot at Vendabot, walking two or three miles every morning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they test themselves that way. Or sleeping on a hard surface. Or uh, not worrying too much about temperature to be able to manage all kinds of temperatures. Yeah. And so those are the kind of ranges that uh, monks can go through to test themselves so that they know that they can handle anything. But this is exactly what we're practicing. But we're doing it away from the world so that we can really get into the the stuff in the mind. Because if we can really clean out the mind anyway, then it's really a whole lot easier to deal with the dangers out in the world. Mm. Because the real fear is inside anyway. So let's practice being fearless. We had been discussing uh, the skills to be developed. And that um, uh, the Pali word for what we're talking about, by the way, is idiopada. Now the word idia means power, and the idiopada means the basis of power. And the bases of power are actually four of the items in the full noble path, the investigation, the sati, the effort, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the city um, or the power itself, that word, uh, uh, when it's in Sanskrit and in Hindu uh, system, these are magical powers. The magical power of diving into the earth, or walking on water, or mm-hmm. uh, uh, going to the mountain, or through the wall, or, or things like this. Mm-hmm. But the real power is something different than that. And it's very interesting that I'm, that the uh, uh, Buddha put this uh, idiopata right there in the Anapanasati Sutta as one of the uh, uses. Or one of the benefits for Anapanasati is to develop this power or this itia. Uh And so uh, the idiya is when you look up in, in just by itself in the Pali Dictionary, the kind of words that it uses is safety, security, satisfaction, um, contentment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that these words are actually closely associated with the, the Pali word sukha. Mm-hmm. And the word sukha is, uh, in the English language, translated as to sensual pleasure as opposed to sensual desire. But basically, um, that's not a good translation of the word sukkha. Uh, the Thai language has the word "suka" in it because they got it out of the Pali. And I've just heard recently that the Gujarati language also has these two words of "duki" and "suki," mm-hmm. And they actually have, have that quality also as one is the opposite of the other. And they basically mean satisfaction or dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. Dukkha is dissatisfying. And "suka" or "suki" means that we like it is satisfying right. and so you can see where it, that would badly translate is to pleasure or sensual pleasure yeah. that yes we'll use we'll use pleasure but this is not necessarily a sensual pleasure like going to the brothel or getting drunk or something mm-hmm. this is actually pleasure that is associated with the power of Uh, these skills we're developing, the power of being satisfied,
1: the
0: power of being contented, the power of being secure and safe. But there's one more word that's in in the dictionary there that's kind of interesting, and that is the word wealthy. Wealthy? Wealthy, yes. Why is the word wealthy there? Um, The word wealthy has to do with um, not rich but that we feel overflowing or we we have generosity that wealthy is, is a feeling that we have and that most people who are rich they call uh, people will call them wealthy but they don't feel wealthy they feel stingy they feel like that they've got not enough i want to change this and see if these headphones are working now can you say something hello no not this either <laughs> mm. i can't hear you right now but i'll see if we can get the no it says that it's working it's working hello uh hello Okay, can you speak to me now? Yeah, hello? Okay, now it's there. Okay, I've, I've got your voice now. Yeah, I can hear a little background. Noise okay, so the word sukha means um, uh, pleasure or satisfaction. It has the quality of purity uh, and safety building. Into it, and that uh, sukha is actually in the anapanasati. Sukha is one of the items that are a skill to be developed, and it's in the Vedana section, which you would expect. So, step five of anapanasati is pity, and step six is sukha.
1: Okay,
0: okay, now we can think of pity and sukha as a continuum where Sukha is at the bottom and uh, piti is at the top. But they all have the quality of satisfaction and joy and uh, security, comfort, safety. Mm-hmm. But Pity has something else that Sukha doesn't have, and that is energy. It's got, and we're using that energy. I mean, in fact, pride effort is helped bringing up this energy. This energy is actually what we can refer to then as the change of attitude to becoming a winner. Mm-hmm. So this is the, yell, the, the, the pity then is the yell of the champion. Right. The first thing that the champion does when he wins the race is he throws his hands in the air and he gives a shout of, of joy of the champion. The next thing he does is he relaxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He we can see that in many cases. One of them is when the football team uh, scores a touchdown that half of the crowd uh, will stand and cheer. Yeah. And then after that, then they sit down and they relax and they feel good. Ah. Mm -hmm. All right. Another example of that is at New Year's when they're all in uh, um, Times Square and the ball starts to drop. And everybody's counting 10, 9, 8, 7, down to zero, and it's the New Year. And that's when a big cheer and a lot of noise comes out. Yay! Right? That's the fifty. And about a half a second or maybe a minute later, they play an old song, Old Anxiety, and everybody rocks and hugs and goes back and, and forth like that. So now yes. that's the suka that follows the piti. They work like that. And that in many cases, the suka, uh is uh, the more sustained portion to where the pity ra- uh comes up. From time to time mm-hmm. but that the suka we want to maintain that maintaining the state of satisfaction without having a lot of exhilaration mm-hmm. that in that in fact that becomes a real issue in the second jhana. but we'll talk about that later because excitement throws one right out of the first uh, out of the second genre goes mm-hmm. right into the verbalization of the excitement and we maintain the excitement without verbalizing it. And that what I mean is that "yeehaw," or that uh, yippee ki or I did it, or that kind of um, uh, wording that comes with this. Um, uh, we'll throw one out a second, John. But in 1st jhana that is exactly the kind of thought that we do want to have. Mm-hmm. is thoughts of success, thoughts of satisfaction, thoughts of I can do this. And so we're actually in the process of Anapanasati. We're gathering the jhana factors together. What are the jhana factors? Number one is the hindrances are out. The noting method that just notes the hindrances and leaves them there is not the Anapanasati. Hmm. That in fact... um, there is a Sutta, number 10, which is the uh, Sakipatthana Sutta. And a sister of this, the Maha Sakipatana Sutta in, in the Danganakaya, but in the Majjama Nikaya, in the area of the insight about what's happening in the mind, the Dhamma Nupasana, it does discuss the hindrances as something to take insight to. But then it has other items on there, including things of the Buddha, like the five aggregates and the four noble truths, and in fact, the investigation of the four four noble truths is basically what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in the in the gui- guise of the Sutta, it seems quite li- lot lot logical for them to say okay we're going to do hindrances for a while but the Anapanasati Sutta and other places is very clear no you've got to get the hindrances out Mm -hmm. that's what we've got to do we've got to, to make that decision about those two kinds of thoughts so that we're only going to allow wholesome thoughts in once we allow only the wholesome thoughts in and don't allow the unwholesome thoughts that's the primary ingredient and that's freedom from the hindrances Number two is is that it's actually quite joyful to be free from these hindrances. There is rapture in pity. There is sukha born from just being free from the hindrances. Well, I do not have to think about that place anymore. Boy, I'm really glad that I live in this house now, and I don't have to live in that house anymore, or whatever the past brings up. So uh, by staying out of the past and being in the present, we are actually now developing and, uh, uh, three, or have actually, at this particular moment in time, three out of the five jhana factors for first jhana. What's left now is to get the mind fit for work. Well, we've already got it free from hindrances. And so what, what we mean by free, and this is a term from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. Dasa. Buddhadasa Buddha Dasa has the term uh, having a mind fit for work. And what it means is is that we can apply the mind to what we want to apply it to and then sustain it on that. An example of having a, an ordinary person having a mind fit for work is, is that they're reading, perhaps reading an article or a book or whatever they're reading, and when they start reading it, they they know they're reading it. They uh, Every sentence by sentence, they've got it. When you're at the end of the paragraph, you know it, You come to the next paragraph, and as it starts, you know how it relates to the paragraph before as you read on. But most people don't read like that. How do most people read? They start reading, and then they'll have a thought about what they're reading, and then they'll have more thoughts about what they're reading. While the eyes are going along the words, we're no longer reading what the eyes are seeing. We're now beginning to think about what we're reading and missing. And sometimes we'll get to the next paragraph and not even. And so we have to go back and reread that paragraph that we just missed, if we're lucky. Sometimes we read for pages before we figure out that we're not getting anything out of there. So when the mind is fit for work, that means we can do what we're reading and sustain it and keep it there. Well, what are we reading now? We're not reading a book, we're reading our own mind. Mm And so we've got to keep reading. This is what we mean by guarding or watching. Keep watching, keep looking at what the mind is doing. And by doing so, we keep bringing it out of the hindrances back to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And by doing so now, we're gathering all of the jhana factors together. This is the state of first jhana, is to have a mind that's really fit for work and is out of the hindrances and is uh, sustaining in the state of sukha, guarding the mind to keep only wholesome thoughts, and do not allow unwholesome thoughts come into the mind. While we move back and forth between joy and wow, great joy. And so these are the. Uh, this is actually the outcome of the Anapanasati Sutta, and everything about the Anapanasati Sutta. Fits the description of the jhanas that are found in other sutras, mm-hmm. and it, we also practice the Eightfold Noble Path so that we know how to practice Anapanasati. But so, Anapanasati is based upon the foundation of the Satipatthana, and we practice the Anapanasati for the foundations of mindfulness. And when we have completed the four foundations of mindfulness, when that's completed, that means that now the Eightfold Noble Path has transformed into factors of enlightenment. Instead of developing the skill of sati, now sati is unremitting. It's there. It's there. It's there when we need it. That investigation is also unremitting. That we keep watching, we keep looking, we keep investigating, we keep noticing what the mind is doing. Also, it, this is it's effortless. In the beginning, the right effort is a lot of effort. But only, not too much. But eventually, right effort uh, turns into an energetic way of doing it. It's almost like we're in the habit of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody who has been practicing lifting weights, and he can jerk 500 pounds. And then some lady has a problem with her car, with, a, with the wheel, and they got to change the wheel, and this dude can go and pick her car up, <laughs> right? This is the kind of um, effort that uh, turns into energy. So he put all of that effort in when he was pumping iron, but now uh, he can pick up that lady's car almost without any effort at all. Mm. And we're going to be able to manage our own mind that way because we get used to it, we're developing this as a skill and so that skill of right effort winds up being energetic. And then one's right um, attitude turns into joy. The attitude is the attitude of joy. This is where pity is unremitting. Pity and joy and exuberance for life is an enlightenment factor. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so this is the way that we practice. We practice uh, the Eightfold Noble Path for the fulfillment of Anapanasati. We practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the Sakipatana, and the factors of enlightenment, but along the way we develop also First Jhana. And this First Jhana is, in fact, quite a nice state to hang out in. The question is, can you maintain the First Jhana? Once you learn it, can you actually get up off the cushion and maintain First Jhana? Mm -hmm. This is the question, is how do we sustain it? Because if we're very good at sustaining this, then we can begin to live our lives as if we were in, uh, not just as if, but in first jhana, most much of the time. Second jhana is a little bit more difficult because there they're thoughtless and, and you don't want to spend all day in, uh, being thoughtless. They might put you in the hospital. <laughs> Maybe one question.
1: Uh, yes. One time I've had an experience um, that I was maybe uh, maybe it was pity I don't know um, it was like joy came through my whole body and my I was I couldn't stop smiling it was like somebody had books put <laughs> yeah, there it, it was just something I experienced one time is is that pity or is that
0: something familiar? Um, let us not worry about what that was. Okay. Let's just go with what we're doing because, mm-hmm. um, uh, you can, you can say that, um, once you begin to see these things, you'll see them more often. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, part of the job then is to begin to sustain these or maintain them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that... That would be the right answer. We're not really sure uh, what to call it,
1: okay. but
0: it's probably okay to call it. Pitty. But uh, in any case, um, getting ourselves into that state of joy and happiness is part of the intermediate goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well... I will go tend to um, technical difficulties, and so we'll finish this call, and I'll see you later. Thanks. Have a nice day. Okay. All right. We'll see you. Bye-bye.